There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Hey guys, you're listening to Crooked Conversations. This is Tommy Vitor, host of Pod Save the World and co-host of Pod Save America. My guest today is Gabriel Sherman. He's a special correspondent at Vanity Fair, uh, but he wrote a book, the definitive book about Roger Ailes and Fox News. And I wanted to have this conversation because I think that we all know of Fox News and, and you know, every once in a while you accidentally flip it on and watch a couple minutes and are just appalled by what you see. But you really need to know uh, Ailes' history and the history of uh, his political involvement and the way Fox has been a part of the GOP establishment for literally decades to truly understand how we got to where we are today with Donald Trump as president. So much of the sort of that journey uh, goes down Fox News. For the people who actually turn out and vote in Republican primaries and the people who show up at Donald Trump rallies, he had already been, you know, a credible political voice, you know, going back to his um, his years as a Fox News commentator. It was a fascinating conversation. It's a hell of a good book. I highly recommend you get it uh, and appreciate you guys tuning in to Conversations. Gabe, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Tommy. Glad to be here. Um, so everyone listening to this pod, uh, if you find it interesting and you want to learn more about Fox News and the genesis of Fox and Roger Ailes, you should read Gabe's book. It is a unbelievable page turner. And there's just so much that I'd forgotten about despite having lived in politics my whole life. But I want to start sort of at the beginning, because I think to understand Fox News, you have to understand Roger Ailes. Um, and the beginning, like the, you had me tearing up, man, like there were some he had a tough upbringing in Ohio. He was a hemophiliac, which meant that even the smallest cut could be life threatening because the bleeding won't stop. There is this, you know, anecdote where his parents are rushing him to a hospital and they had to get lights and sirens to sort of lead them there because they got pulled over. And it's just like harrowing story. But that vulnerability, instead of making him empathetic or more kind, it seemed to make him more aggressive and caustic and even violent. Um, and and I know, you know, at times I felt like he was like a good therapist away from Fox News never really existing. But you spent years learning about the guy. Like, what did you come away thinking about Roger Ailes? Yeah, Tommy. I mean, that's a great way that you frame the question because, you know, on its face, Fox News is such a improbable kind of almost uh, unbelievable thing that a Republican operative would create what became the most watched cable news channel in America. It's kind of strange, as we were just saying, stranger than fiction. And I wanted to understand how did this happen? How did this cult of personality get created. Um, and everyone I talked to as I was reporting the book uh, told me time and again that to understand Fox News, you had to understand Roger Ailes. And so uh, as a reporter and a, and a biographer, I decided I need to go. I needed to go deep uh, on on uh, Ailes's um, childhood and his and his and his the, the arc of his life and where mm -hmm. he came from. And, and in doing that, I went to Warren, Ohio, uh, which is in Northeast Ohio. Uh, Roger Ailes was born there in May of 1940. 
And, um, you know, obviously now with Trump in the White House, we've been hearing a lot about the sort of forgotten communities in the industrial Rust Belt. Well, Mm -hmm. you know, Roger Ailes came from one of those communities. And, you know, that really explained a lot of his his worldview. And in particular, the, you know, he sort of cast himself as a product of this idyllic post-war America. But in fact, his childhood was incredibly dark. Uh, You mentioned at the top there his hemophilia. He grew up at a time uh, in the 40s and 50s when the average life expectancy of a hemophiliac was about 11 years old. Wow. And from that experience, you know, his brother and others told me, you know, he took away this incredible uh, will to live and this force of personality that whenever people told him he couldn't do something, he doubled down on himself. And in fact, he uh, told himself he could do anything. And on, on the one hand, those were very admirable qualities. On the other hand, um, he took away from his childhood uh, this this feeling that he would never be dominated again. He would always be in a position of of power and control over others, whether it's through television or now. So was, subsequently, we've learned uh, over women, and that was because of the product of abuse. You know, I obtained uh, the divorce records that his mother filed in uh, 1960 um, after uh, being married to her uh, Roger's father, her husband, who was a factory foreman. And the divorce uh, records paint a harrowing picture of a household filled with domestic violence, paranoia, fear, uh, and all of those qualities we now, um, you know, the sort of the darkness that we, as- we associate with Fox News. And that provided a, an incredible window into uh, the formative years that shaped Ailes' worldview that he would take with him um, on his career in television and politics. Yeah, and, we, and I should point out that, you know, he was ultimately fired from from Fox for sexual harassment and— uh you know, it was, was, you know, there's all sorts of stories in the book of aggression from him towards women and towards people who worked with him, but also towards you as you were trying to report this, right? I mean, it, it sounds like this is about as intimidating a subject as, as you could have chosen. Yeah, you know, it was one of these uh, assignments, these reporting challenges where uh, when I set out to write the book, I was, I thought it was such a rich subject because there had not been a rigorously reported uh, biography on Ailes. Uh, you know, which was, I found on one hand, surprising given the role he shaped in in controlling the Republican Party and uh, transforming American politics into sort of a spectacle and entertainment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I very quickly learned that the reason uh, that there had not been uh, more reporting on Ailes was that he took every piece of journalism about him as a, as a threat. Yeah. And in, in my case, and it's not unique, he did this to other reporters. He hired private investigators to dig into my past. He had me followed. He set up uh, right-wing smear websites to uh, malign my reputation as a George Soros-funded puppet. A lot of times the the uh, smears were in not-so-veiled anti-Semitic ways. My wife and I, right around Christmas of 2012, uh, uh, got a, um, a, a death threat uh, at our house, and we th- quickly threw all of our belongings into a bag, and we were going to go home for, for Christmas in a few days to, to see your family, but we decided just to get out of New York really quick that that evening after filing a police report. So it was really this three-year period of living with fear and intimidation. And, you know, I think Ailes wanted to do that because he thought it would dissuade and, and um, prevent my reporting. But something about, you know, the way he was acting and, and the way he was trying to cover uh, what, what I was just doing, which was just straight journalism, even convinced me even more that this yeah. was a real that there was a story here. So it had the opposite effect. It actually motivated me. Yeah, wrong approach with the wrong guy. Um, so so Fox, back to Fox itself, they brand themselves as not just news, but fair and balanced news. That's their spin. That's their branding has been for a long time. But I think 
Again, it's important for everyone to understand that Fox's DNA is comprised of Republican politics, not a deep experience in news. Ailes got his start in radio and TV, but then he transitioned into a political cam- campaign operative, and he never really left, even when he went back to television. Um, he understood early on that you know the advent of TV meant political candidates needed to be performers, and I think that was sort of part of his genius. But you know, again, for folks listening, Ailes went on to work for Nixon's presidential campaign, Reagan's presidential campaign, George H.W. Bush's campaign. He did work for Giuliani, countless other state officials. And it wasn't like he was a pollster. He was dictating some of the most vicious attack ads ever made. So, I mean, can you talk a bit about how that early campaign work shaped Fox? Yeah, without question. You know, uh, Roger Ailes had kind of the singular insight in 1968 when he was the ex- then the executive producer of The Mike Douglas Show, which at the time was the number one daytime variety show in America, watched by six million uh, people coast to coast. And his insight was that you could connect through television to viewers. You could go over the heads of what we now call the mainstream uh, media. And so he applied that that insight to the understanding that at some point television would become bigger than the Republican Party. Political parties were a vestige of the old machine era politics where you had to literally have kind of boots on the ground to turn people out and hand out leaflets and get your message out. But with television in the 60s, 70s, and 80s during Ailes, the, the height of Ailes's political career, um, he, he realized that you could spread the message through television uh, and, and transcend the party. And then Fox News, as I report in the book, obviously became uh, the controlling message organ of the Republican Party. I mean, it was kind of a a false uh, uh, analogy. People said, oh, Fox News was the media arm of the Republican Party. Actually, Mm -hmm. the book demonstrates that Fox News set the message that the Republican Party then had to follow. Um, But that was Ailes' insight. His other insight was that the way um, to get uh, votes was not through uh, uplifting uh, messages and kind of aspirational politics. It was through wedge politics and grievance. And that became the animating force of his political style. He did it, obviously, in 68 uh, by harnessing the silent majority that Nixon was appealing to. Uh, famously, in 1988, he did it with George H.W. Bush by by turning that, that race into a race uh, about uh, about race and patriotism you know, famously, uh, Ailes was quoted in Time magazine um, taking credit for the Willie Horton ad mm-hmm. and saying the only question is, are we going to show Willie Horton with a knife or a gun? Um, and also uh, having George H.W. Bush campaign at a uh, American flag factory in New Jersey and basically trying to paint Michael Dukakis, the Democratic candidate, as this kind of alien foreign other candidate. All of the smears that Ailes and Fox News would then apply later to President Obama. <laughs> um, but we saw that, you know, these, this was the DNA of a Roger Ailes campaign. And, you know, oftentimes he went too far. And the Willie Horton ad in particular in 88 really created a lot of baggage for Ailes that he never quite was able to shake. And it was partly that reason that he did not get asked to rejoin the 1992 Bush reelection campaign and it kind of paved his exit from organized official Republican politics. And he had to reinvent himself in the early 1990s as a television producer, which then set him on the course to launching Fox News. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned how Fox didn't wasn't the media arm, but they set the message. I, when I was reading the book, I was reminded of how much Fox drove the sort of patriotic fervor in the wake of 9-11 and during the lead up to the Iraq war. Ailes actually sent President Bush and his team a memo with advice about military strategy. Uh, Fox 
held internal strategy sessions to like fine tune their coverage and help sell the war. They, in in some ways, Fox News journalists conspired with the U.S. military to, you know, make the scene in Firdo Square when the Saddam Hussein statue was pulled down looked like it was a bigger, more euphoric event when in reality it was, you know, several dozen maybe people in the square um, watching this happen. So I was hoping you could talk a little bit about the Iraq coverage. And, and if you thought, is that the area where they had the biggest policy impact or were there other, you know, sort of policy uh, agenda items that Ailes pushed forward? You know, it's a great question. Um, and, and, you know, something I thought a lot about. And, and in some ways, I agree. Uh, and I'll first, you know, talk about Fox's role in in uh, the Iraq war. And then we can, you know, kind of expand and, and look at, you know, what it sort of try to assess what ails is at the whether that was, in fact, Ailes's biggest sort of policy victory. You know, um, you know, after 9-11, um, what I was most struck by when I reported this book and, and interviewing the producers and, and executives who are inside Fox News and reviewing and looking at all the coverage was that Ailes recognized that um, the American people would have a visceral response and an emotional response to 9-11. Mm-hmm. You know, Fox News branded itself as uh, as the network that would cover uh, the war in the kind of most uh, graphic way. He, had, he introduced uh, within hours of the attacks on the World Trade Center, these blood red graphics that would cover the bottom of the screen. Fox News was one of the first networks to show those harrowing pictures of the jumpers um, plummeting from uh, the towers as they burned, you know, kind of really in your face to stoke that sense of revenge amongst the audience was something that Ailes uh, intuitively understood. Um, But what he also understood, which is so kind of both brilliant and and devious as a political strategist, is that the response to 9-11, the American campaign in Afghanistan, which had widespread bipartisan support, would not be enough uh, to, to sate the American people's uh, hunger for uh, revenge because, you know, bombing uh, 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 caves and mountains in Afghanistan does not provide the visuals of a satisfying victory. And what America as a country wanted in, in Ailes's mind after 9-11 was a satisfying conclusion to this attack. And that is why you saw Fox News in concert with the Bush White House shift very quickly the conversation about America's response to 9-11 from Afghanistan to Iraq and Saddam Hussein. Because in Saddam Hussein, Roger Ailes found a kind of a move, a Hollywood version of a, of a dictator villain, an enemy that America could look to to say, this is who we need to go after. And so Fox News quickly and unskeptically, you know, hyped the case for the war in Iraq uh, by, by pressing faulty intelligence about WMDs. Uh, and that really uh, put pressure on the rest of the media. And I think one of Ailes's lasting um, uh, impacts and, and the sort of a, a signal for how much power he actually had was not only Fox News's coverage, but the way in which other networks felt pressured because of Fox's success to adopt its more jingoistic and right-wing right. uh, style. You know, we should point out that Fox News passed CNN uh, to become the number one most watched network in January of 2002, and it mm. never looked back. Right. And it was in those months after 9-11 that we saw even MSNBC, you know, hire a, a whole slew and parade of conservatives to try to tap into this patriotic fervor that Ailes had helped whip up. And so I think the rest of the media, including the New York Times, which I've written about extensively, with their own um, uh, flawed coverage of WMDs, sort of turned their skepticism off because 
the whole country was swept up in this response that Ailes had been instrumental in engineering after 9-11. Yeah, I mean, I remember we were all scared shitless. We were, people were telling us to buy duct tape and, and put plastic wrap on our windows. And, and you, know, you have this amazing anecdote in the book about how uh, a CNN bureau chief, I believe, or head of news sent a memo down to his, uh, to his team that we needed to be more supportive of the troops. I mean, it was remarkable the way Fox was able to pull the entire press corps towards uh, taking a less critical look at, you know, whether there was WMD and, and essentially cheerleading the war in some instances. Yeah, without question. You know, one of the one of the things I was most drawn to in reporting the book was when I realized that, you know, Ailes's particular eccentricities and idiosyncratic uh, a response to, you know, we all were terrified after 9-11, but there was something in Ailes that snapped and his latent paranoia, which had been kind of a constant throughout his life, kind of went into overdrive. And this was the the time in which Ailes started traveling with his personal bodyguard. He obtained uh, a concealed carry permit, which was very uh, difficult to do in New York City. Um, he would, in the years after 9-11, buy a uh, hilltop uh, 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 parcel of land in upstate New York and build a, a compound uh, with an underground security complex with a, a tunnel that would lead him out to um, uh, the road below the mountain. Uh, he became, you know, obsessed with his own security. He thought he was, he told people he was targeted for personal assassination by Osama bin Laden. So it's like, you know, it's why Ailes is such a, a cinematic character in a way. It's mm-hmm. his own particular paranoia and fear that he injected into the rest of the country. Right. And so, you know, we could have had many, many responses to 9-11, but because Ailes wielded the influence he did, America decided to set itself on that, that course of being a paranoid and, and, and fearful country. Yeah. Crooked Conversations is brought to you by Quip. Mm. Quip. Guys, I've been using the Quip. Me too. But let me get to the copy first. Let me give you a challenge. Find a gift that's affordable, practical and Instagram worthy. Not possible. Uh, doodle on the top of that list <laughs> is Quip, the electric toothbrush that looks like it was designed by Apple, but without the high price. Quip is the new electric toothbrush. get away with saying that. Good for them. No, good for them. <laughs> that packs just the right amount of vibrations into an ultra-slim design with oh guiding pulses to simplify wait, wait, better Tommy, brushing Tommy, did you say, did you say you're getting uh, just the right brushes. amount of vibrations? Uh, Quip uh, would you uh, say that it has a smooth deployment and Quip, a comfortable glide? <laughs> Quip comes with a mount that goes right on your mirror, fitting seamlessly into your daily routine. Where do you mount the thing with the perfect Quip, amount of vibration, my Tommy? My God, it's a toothbrush. Quip also offers an optional subscription plan delivering a new toothbrush head on a dentist-recommended a three-month schedule for just five bucks. There's so many vulgarities I'm skipping. Including free shipping worldwide. And just in time for the holidays, Quip is the ideal size and price to gift anyone on your list. You can even include <laughs> automatic brush head deliveries for a year Tommy, to ensure your gift Tommy, keeps giving so until are you, next you're, holiday. So you've been really enjoying this product with the perfect size and vibration for you. I have to say, I have to say. <laughs> what color? Uh, Who cares like, what color it is? Slate? Do you I think go with silver? Do you go with gold? I like a white. Cool, cool. But uh, I have to say, my teeth feel noticeably cleaner. Oh. Hmm. I like my quip. I went with gold. Here's why it's perfect. And I got Ronan a silver. Three reasons. Cool. It's a gift they'll actually use every day. It's not something that's going to get chucked in a drawer. True. You don't have to go to a store to get it. They can ship directly to your door or theirs. Again, we don't want anyone leaving. Again, the unemployment office is just filled (laughs) with middlemen. Just line out the door. It's that perfect $25 price point for those secret Santas you struggle with oh. every year. No one no. in the crooked media office is just going to get a bunch of quips. Well, they can't the because, swap. no, because our Yankee swap is $15. We're, do- we're yeah. doing a Yankee swap. You can, uh, I think it should have been 20 
The Quip electric toothbrush is featured in just about every gift guide this year, like GQ, Oprah's O-List, and Men's Health. And it's backed by a network of over 10,000 dental professionals, including dentists, hygienists, and dental students. Tommy, I have a question. Do Do you think that it made the O-List because it's the perfect size and vibration? Oh my God, doing this over. No, you're not. Quip is backed by a network of over 10,000 dental professionals, including dentists, hygienists, and dental students. Quip starts at just 25 bucks. And right now, when you go to getquip.com slash crookedconvos, to get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash crookedconvos, spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash crookedconvos. Sweet. Crooked Conversations is brought to you by Dollar Shave. You guys, you've heard me talk about the amazing shave I get from my Dollar Shave Club razor, especially when I use it with their Dr. Carver's Shave Butter. <laughs> I love I Love, love that shave, shave butter. Club. No, well, the do- I'm please, listen. A I mean, dollar shave club and the shave butter. Toast? <laughs> <laughs> I'm here to tell you guys. I'm John, ne- you're not I'm, supposed to eat it, you stupid moron. <laughs> I'm never giving up my membership. In fact, I'm adding even more dollar shave club products to my daily routine. What? They make products for your hair, your face, your skin, and your shower, else? your toast, everything you need. Where else? They have me looking and feeling amazing. Would you say that you're a real one wipe, Charlie? <laughs> it's, all, Tommy? Oh. it's all their own original stuff. They only use the finest premium ingredients. They deliver to you just like they do their razors. That means no more annoying trips to the store, cruising up and down aisles, looking at shelf upon shelf of what the hell is that and what Nobody do I do go it? to the store anymore. <laughs> We're just doing it all from home. I do hate when the, the when the razors are like under lock. It's the worst. It's so yeah. silly. That's why we use Dollar Shave Club for it's just about everything. Vault. They got me covered head to toe and with gift memberships and e-gift cards available. DSC can help cover the names on your holiday shopping list DSC too. for short, guys. I'm reminded of the Chambord Vault. Guys, I want you to love Dollar Shave Club as much as I do. So I've arranged for you to try your first month of their best razor along with travel size versions of shave butter, body cleanser, and yes, even butt wipes for just $5. They're, uh, they're, what kind of butt wipes, John? After that. John, what kind of butt wipes? They're one wipe Charlie's, One John. wipe, love it. After no. that, replacement cartridges ship for one just a few Tommy. bucks a month. It's a DSC starter set. Get yours for just 5 bucks exclusively at dollarshaveclub.com slash crookedconvos. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash crookedconvos. Travel size butt wipes. Is this house a good price compared to others in the area? Are prices going up or down? If I don't make an offer right this very moment, will I miss my chance? These are just some of the questions a home buyer might ask. And these are the sorts of questions an agent who is a Realtor can help answer. Because Realtors have the expertise, data, and access to specialty training to help you navigate the process of buying a home. They provide support, guidance, and have your back every step of the way. That's what Realtors do, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. You brilliantly capture the way Democrats lurch back and forth with their approach to Fox. Sometimes we try to court them because we say, how can we leave out this audience? Sometimes we attack their credibility and freeze them out. I I was with Obama when we tried both, and I've been of both minds about this personally. Um, I I screamed at Fox and Friends producers and other senior Fox producers so much that I had an out-of-body experience when they reported that Barack Obama attended a madrasa. Uh, and then when Anita Dunn was working at Obama as the uh, White House communications director, you know, she said Fox was more of a right wing uh, organ than it was uh, a part of the news. And then fast forward a couple of years later, uh, and Obama is doing interviews with Bill O'Reilly on Super Bowl Sunday and the sort of most watched interview of the year. Um, the conclusion I drew from the book is that courting Fox was probably a lost cause because of who Ailes was and what his goals were uh, and how they were inherently political. Do you is that accurate do you think 
Yeah, I, I, I think so. You know, I think Ailes never was going to deal with uh, with the Democratic Party uh, in general and President Obama in particular, who he told executives wasn't born in America uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and all of the, the smears and conspiracies that uh, that were sort of prevalent on the right, Ailes believed himself. So he was never going to deal with the White House in good faith. And in fact, you know, the attacks on Fox uh, by the White House ails in a canny kind of move. Uh, and this is where I see the sort of failing of the political press in uh, in D.C. You know, Ailes cast himself as, a, you know, a member of the journalistic establishment. And I remember uh, Jake Tapper and others kind of uh, crying foul when the White House revoked access to Fox News and said, you know, how dare you exclude a, a member of the mm-hmm. Washington press corps uh, from our ranks? And I think that's a big failure because I don't think, uh, and knowing what I know, and I think the case uh, that my reporting lays out in the book is is very solid. You know, Fox is not a, a journalistic organization. I mean, they may employ some journalists, but it is a political operative. It's a political consulting company. It's basically Ailes's political consulting company that he ran in the '80s, transposed. Uh, to uh, the halls of a news network and to sort of treat them uh, like the rest of the press, whatever the failings are of all the networks and the mainstream papers, they operate uh, you know, with the best of intentions to get the facts right. Fox operates with the uh, intentions of advancing Roger Ailes' worldview. And that happens to be you know, obviously largely in sync with the, the right-wing Republican conservative worldview. And so you know, to, to engage with them uh, as as journalists, I think, is just being naive about what Ailes' intentions really are. Yeah. Um, that brings me to our most avid Fox viewer in this country, Donald Trump. Um, I don't think people totally get the degree to which the Trump campaign was incubated by Fox News. These days, we, we know that he live tweets Fox and Friends, and he calls his best friend Sean Hannity after every episode, reportedly. But, but long before that, Roger Ailes had given Trump a weekly call-in spot on Fox and Friends where he spent lots of time questioning Obama's birth certificate and citizenship and whatever other things he was doing. Um, how much do you think that regular interaction shaped his future campaign message? And, and how much do you think that exposure benefited him down the road when he was seeking uh, Republican primary voter votes? Oh, without question. You know, the, the Trump-Ailes-Fox News relationship and that symbiosis was instrumental in actually making Donald Trump a, credi- a credible political figure on the right. You know, Ailes and Trump had been friends since the 1980s. I mean, they were both New York City power brokers. Uh, they would see each other at the 21 Club and other places around town. Um, and so, you know, they were acquaintances. And when when Trump started his attacks on uh, President Obama, you know, Ailes saw a, a, a savvy uh, programming uh, strategy because he knew you know, Trump could get ratings. And he gave him, as you mentioned, that weekly call-in slot. And I think for Trump, it's he saw that that message, the birtherism, the racism, the xenophobia, uh, the bombast, all of that stuff was connecting with a wide swath of the Republican Party. And, you know, like we were just talking about earlier in the conversation, you know, the Republican Party took its cues from Fox News, not the other way around. And so by Donald Trump rolling out his kind of proto-candidacy in 2011 on Fox News, it gave him a viability so that four plus years later, when he descended those stairs at Trump Tower um, to announce his candidacy in June of 2015, he was taken seriously by the Republican base. He might not have been taken seriously by the Republican establishment, and he certainly wasn't taken seriously by many reporters. 
But for the people who actually turn out and vote in Republican primaries and the people who show up at Donald Trump rallies, he had already been, you know, a credible political voice, you know, going back to his um, his years as a Fox News commentator. Yeah. And to your point, again, like I remember seeing him on the Today Show doing similar interviews where he would opine about politics despite having absolutely no background or qualification to do so. So once again, Fox News leading uh, leading networks around. So. I guess my question sort of brings us today, which is what happens now? Um, Roger Ailes has passed away. Uh, in many ways, he succeeded beyond his wildest dreams. Fox is a force in Republican politics. They drive stories. They create scandals uh, like Fast and Furious and Benghazi, and they, they drive things uh, into the forefront of news and the you know public consciousness in a way no other place seems to be able to do. Um but they're now facing this insurgency on the right from from news outlets like Breitbart uh, and others. Do you think they can hang on to the top spot sort of as is? Some people seem to think that Rupert Murdoch's sons are trying to moderate Fox after Ailes uh, passed away. Do you see that happening or are they going to have to go further to the right to stay relevant? Well, I think there's sort of two separate ways to to look at this question. You know, on the one hand, you know, cable news is a very mature business. The audiences are, are fairly stable. They're not growing. The average age of the Fox viewer, I believe, is something like 68 years old and, right. and, tick, and ticking upwards. So this is an audience that, you know, as the rest of the TV industry is finding out, people are cutting the cords. It's, it's a legacy media business. So on the one hand, you know, Fox still dominates the ratings. Uh, it, it generates billions of dollars of profit for Rupert Murdoch's media empire. So it's a very healthy business. But in terms of actually setting the agenda, I think that's where it becomes a lot more complicated. And I've, uh, as a reporter, found a, a very interesting area to cover the kind of fracturing and atomization that we've seen uh, on the right uh, in terms of the, the media outlets um, setting the agenda. You know, it's sort of ironic in a certain way that Ailes exploited the, the old uh, media hierarchy to, to bust up the monopoly that the big three networks and CNN had. And now those same forces that splintered the media 20 years ago with Fox are actually attacking uh, the empire that Ailes built. And so we see that with Breitbart. We see that with InfoWars. Uh, we see that, you know, with uh, some of these, you know, we've seen uh, Facebook pages that were set up in the 20s, the pro-Trump pages that were set up and perhaps were funded by the Russians. Mm-hmm. Um, so we see the fracturing uh, of the media uh, on the right uh, just like we saw it uh, in the mainstream. And I think for for Ailes, it's kind of, uh, it, it, he kind of wins both ways. I mean, he he died uh, earlier this year. Um, and, um, but his legacy lives on because the kind of notion of relative truth and narrative over fact, and the idea that uh, media exists to advance the interest of a, poli- a particular political uh, constituency lives on. And, you know, whether it's Steve Bannon or others, you know, we have the next generation of Ailes is out there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, I, I think he, that is going to be kind of his, his lasting legacy is that he's transformed, uh, media, especially political media into just another form of politics. Yeah. Uh, McKay Coppins is a, is a great journalist, uh, for the Atlantic. He wrote this piece, uh, about, how the right-wing media is essentially trying to destroy the broader media. He quoted Breitbart's White House Bureau Chief as saying, uh, journalistic integrity is dead. There is no such thing anymore. So everything is about weaponization of information. Uh, He said later his 
His goal was simple, the full destruction and elimination of the entire mainstream media. Do you think Fox is now a target for elimination too? Or or are these lunatics at Breitbart talking about, you know, the New York Times and the Washington Post? I think, uh, you know, I think it depends. I think if Fox um, uh, sort of hues to the populist, nationalist, uh, nativist uh, wing of the Republican Party that Donald Trump exemplifies, I think Breitbart will direct its fire elsewhere. Uh, but I think to the degree that the Brett Bears and some of the saner voices at Fox have uh, have say over the editorial strategy, or as you mentioned earlier, if the Murdoch's, uh, Murdoch's sons, James and Lachlan Murdoch, you know, attempt to steer Fox more to the center, then we're going to see Breitbart go, you know, completely uh, a nuclear on Fox because Breitbart is a sort of a uh, um, uh, exist to is a pressure group, and they exist to keep the Republican Party uh, dr- driving rightwards towards towards their, the nationalist base. And so, if Fox is not on on, on that program, they're, they're, they've become an enemy. So, I, th- I guess it's a kind of wait and see uh, about how Fox tacks. Mm-hmm. What, what what are those? You mentioned some saner voices. There's you know Chris Wallace, Brett Baer, some people that are you know, more established journalists. What do they think about the fact that Sean Hannity is, you know, savaging anyone who dares to criticize President Trump and sort of acting as a pseudo press secretary? Like, do do people get worried about the, the, the direction of the company internally? I mean, especially when during the election, Fox went through some periods where they were actually fighting against President Trump. And, and Megyn Kelly had that uh, mm-hmm. enormous blow up with President Trump when he said disgusting things that I will not repeat here uh, about her. I mean, how do they manage this internally? Well, you know, historically, Chris Wallace has been no fan of of uh, Sean Hannity and they've had their, cla- you know, off-camera clashes over the years. Um, and, and and one Fox executive had described uh, an, an email fight that they had where, in effect, Sean Hannity emailed him to, to someone who viewed the email, described it as saying something like, you know, Chris, the only we- reason you have a job in television is because of your daddy. Nice. So clearly, off camera, these guys are not friends. And, you know, the the Fox and Friends and the Sean Hannity's and that that wing of Fox clearly creates a lot of agitation for people who, who want to at least cast themselves as a, a, a more sane journalist. Uh, but, you know, I, I think there's limited things that they can do because, unfortunately, it's not special report uh, that is generating the ratings at Fox News. I mean, the agenda is set in the morning with Fox and Friends, and it continues at night through primetime with the, you know, right-wing uh, uh, talking heads that they have. And so I think, um, you know, people like Wallace and Bear and Shepard Smith, uh, uh, Martha McCallum and others, I mean, I think they they kind of hold their nose because they know uh, what you know, Fox's reason uh, of, of being is, and they know their roles. And I think they, they try to do, you know, on the margins what they can. And I think also, you know, in the case of, of some of those uh, individuals, you know, they're, they're paid very handsomely for their work. I mean, Ailes was savvy enough to know that he needed uh, journalists on his payroll to trot out when reporters like myself or others wrote about Fox being a right-wing propaganda arm he could say, no, 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 we have Shepard Smith, you know, he's criticized George W. Bush, or, you know, we have Chris Wallace, he asks tough questions. I mean, he used uh, a lot of the journalists at Fox News as political foils. Right. Um, and so I think that's the role that they serve. And um, and I think, you know, whether they know that consciously or not, 
Um, I think that's why the, you know they're paid. I think I've I've, I've heard from sources. Shepard Smith, you know, makes you know eight figure salary. I mean, he's paid wow. very very. He's paid way more than he would be at CNN or MSNBC because of the value, the public relations value he provides to Fox News. Yeah. Uh, my final question for you. Uh, in May, the Sinclair Broadcast Group and Tribune Media announced an agreement on a, a nearly $4 billion deal. That means Sinclair will own or operate 233 TV stations in 108 markets. Uh, Sinclair is a conservative news outlet, and many worry this is going to give them the power to politicize local TV news the way Fox politicized national cable. They've already hired former Trump administration officials to deliver factually dubious commentary despite having no real qualifications. So it's sort of well on its way to being problematic. Um, my question is, do you think the creation of Fox News was an aberration or, or a singular event that succeeded only because of ails and timing and circumstances? Or or could Sinclair recreate it and become a similar force uh, the way Fox has become? Uh, you know, I think Fox News was uh, was a singular event. You know, Murdoch had the money. Roger Ailes had the life experience, uh, the political experience. And, and then, you know, the unique genius as a TV producer and an entertainer to create this network. You know, as I report in the book, there were, you know, many other attempts to create, you know, conservative alternatives to the other networks, and they failed for a variety of reasons, either, you know, lack of financing, you know, the technology wasn't, the distribution wasn't, you know, ready for its time yet, or just, you know, bad programming. And I think the case with Sinclair, you know, I think the the, the time will tell. I think one thing they, they don't have uh, that Ailes did is just it's not very good television. You know, when you watch right. Sinclair broadcast, you know, Boris Epstein and others, I mean, it really does look like public access TV. Yeah. And so the production is is not, you know, Ailes at his heart was an entertainer. Uh, I'd say he's an entertainer first and a right-wing ideologue second. And he combined those two to create this kind of uh, uh, um, this synergy that had this incredible cultural power and that's what Sinclair lacks. And so, you know, they may get, they may, you know, spread a conservative message far and wide, but it will not, it's not, it's, it's from the stuff that I've watched, it has, it lacks that kind of sense of spectacle that Fox News and those narrative storylines that Ailes was able to create that had such an effect on our national political conversation. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, thank God Boris Epstein is not very good at his job because boy, he is pretty stupid. Uh, Gabe Sherman, thank you so much. Everyone should follow Gabe on Twitter. He's a special correspondent of Vanity Fair. He's cranking out scoops like nobody's business. And if you like this conversation, you should buy The Loudest Voice in the Room, How the Brilliant, Bombastic Roger Ailes Built Fox News and Divided a Country. Thank you again for joining me. Thank you, Tommy. Good to be here. If you liked what you heard today, please rate us in the iTunes store. And if you have ideas for things you'd like to hear covered, please send us your suggestions on the Crooked Media Facebook page. We want to hear from you guys. Thank you, as always, for tuning in and check back next week for more important conversations about things that really matter. It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home. And quite another navigating the world of price negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a Realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. 
That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.